Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani. And I'm Chuck Mendenhall. And I'm Pete Carroll, and together we are Three Pack. Join us on the brand new Spotify Live app immediately after all of the biggest fights in combat sports. And also during the weigh-ins, because that's when the real drama happens. So what are you waiting for? Follow the Ring MMA show right now on our exclusive Spotify podcast feed. And come join the best community in MMA. Peace! We're out of here. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Ben Slott and Steve Maurice, and we are coming to you every Friday to preview the weekend's NFL games. And first up, we have the game plan, where Slott and Steven break down the biggest game of the week, cosplay as the coaching staffs for each team. And this week, the game of the week, Ben Solak's Philadelphia Eagles against my New York football giants. Uh, so we're going to have Steven here be the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Nick Sirianni and yeah, Slott's sure. going to be the Giants and bias. Brian Dable. Is that what it's going to be? No, part of me I refuse. Does, part of me does want to make you just be the Giants and just dissect how you would attack the Eagles. Part of me did want to just force you into that. We'll have that conversation. It's a, it's a, like we did. We talked about it on the Philly special a little bit, but there's this is a interesting matchup. This is not cut and dry, I don't think. And also, Solak has been thinking about that all season long, about how he would attack the Eagles offense. Well... I mean, yeah. you have behind the scenes. You've been talking about like what what kind of defenses would give them trouble. Have it's not- well, it's just it's what you do. Like when you cover the one team, it's just inherently what you're thinking about. You see what, what gives them issues and sees what and see what doesn't. But like you go back to the the Cardinals game they played, and I think that you could see a similar sort of a game played here against the Giants. I also just kind of like the idea of Solak just being Brian Dable and just how much larger. I don't know. He'd have to put on a suit of some kind. I don't know. The way Brian Dable treats referees when he's mad at them is how I would also treat referees if I were mad at them. I want. I, I, I think about this a lot. I don't know how much you guys think about this. I think about this every week. I like, man, I, it would be really important to me if I were a coach to just be kind to the referee, like try to like do my best, like treat them like humans and like not get wrapped up in the competition and like just like be like a reasonable person. And then like one bad call will happen and I'll see a coach like just at, just lacing into a referee on the sideline. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I would look like. I would oh. do that in a heartbeat. I would I would be the first coach to ever get kicked out of a game for throwing their challenge flag at a ref for a call. I, I would did. challenge penalty calls on the spot. <laughs> I always wonder what would happen if you hit a ref with the challenge flag. Because you have to make sure they see it in order to whistle the play dead, right? So the most efficient way to do that is to beat him in the face. Like if we're just talking pure efficiency. I don't I don't know if that's allowed though. I've never you gotta seen it do, done. You gotta do a no look pass like Mahomes so you can like have plausible de- deniability. <laughs> Just cover the eyes and launch it. Yeah. 
Eagles Giants. Eagles Giants. So Eagles are eleven and one. They're playing at the Giants. Giants are seven four and one. We got to deal with this freaking tie in the standings now. The rest of the year, Eagles are getting are giving the Giants seven points right off the top. Stephen, are you surprised? I know it's in New York, but are you surprised the Eagles are only a touchdown favorite? Like a part of me is, but I kind of get why. Like we've seen the Giants coaching staff kind of, I think, outcoach their talent level and keep games closer than we would imagine. And they're really good at, I think, controlling the game and not letting a game get out of hand. So I could see the Giants shortening this game and keeping it, even if it's not totally competitive, I could see them almost covering that spread. But when I watch these two teams on film, I, I don't see how the Giants have a chance especially after watching what Philly did to Tennessee last week, where honestly, this was another case where I watch a Tennessee deep defensive film. And I think, did they know the calls the other team was calling the point? But the, the point was, it didn't matter. The Eagles were just better at every spot on the field. So it did not matter if the Titans were able to get a numeric advantage somewhere because the Eagles had the qualitative advantage. I think we're going to see the same thing here. The Giants, I think, have overachieved because they have a very good coaching staff that has allowed them to overachieve. I don't think that coaching advantage is going to matter against the Eagles because they're just too talented. That's exactly how I feel. All right, let's let's be real here. I come on here every week and I more or less try to reverse jinx the Giants, partially because I really do kind of think they're going to lose every game and then they win, but also because I feel like, you know, you put too much stock out there in the world, you're just jinxing them. Let's be real here for Solak for a moment. I know you do the same thing. Put that aside. Are you actually afraid of the Eagles losing to the Giants this week? Like, be honest with me. Yeah. Bullshit. I am. I <laughs> I am always afraid of all things. Like I thought it's I, football I, brain, man. Yeah. It's his football brain. He has a coach's brain. He's he's like Belichick talking up the, the this week's bad opponent, like he, him talking up Brandon Whedon or something. He is like Belichick. It's like, oh my God. I, well, I guess the funniest thing was when Belichick talked how great the Bears was and then the Bears rocked the Patriots, but Yes, which, you know, the every so often you have to actually lose to the teams that it seems like it's real, the, the Belichick move. Every so often you have to actually pitch, pitch a live one in there. I am concerned about this game for one major reason, which is uh, the Eagles are facing an extremely blitz-heavy team in the New York Giants. They lead the league in blitz rate. Over 40% of their plays, they're blitzing on. This is Wink Martindale's MO. He doesn't change it for anybody. Uh, Jalen Hurts has improved so much as a player, man, so much over the course of the last two years, certainly since we last saw him against an extremely blitz-heavy team, that being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the divisional round of last year's playoffs, right? They blitzed him to death, just constantly sending pressure, daring Hurts to beat them, quickly getting rid of the ball with his arm and letting his receivers do the work for him. Things have since changed in the Eagles, uh, you know, play calling, you know, Shane Steichen calls the plays now, not Nick Sirianni. They've added AJ Brown. It's been hugely beneficial to them against the blitz and against man coverage, which the Giants lead the league in. And Hertz has gotten a lot better. Hertz has faced some blitz heavy teams, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Arizona Cardinals with success. But the Cardinals game was a little bit of a, a, of a sketchy game because the Cardinals put a lot of guys up in the other line and they would play with off coverage. And the Eagles responded with just constant, incessant wide receiver screens, just bullet screen, now screen, smokes, running back, tight end, everything. Any way you can get a screen pass. I mean, the Eagles had an opportunity to throw a Hail Mary at the end of the first half against the Titans. You know what they threw instead? Screen. This this offensive staff will find a way to call a screen in pretty much any look. And that's their typical uh, blitz answer, right? Even when they got into long and late downs against the Colts, Gus Bradley would show blitz. They either would call a screen or they would call like a fake screen, all go. But that, that that's the world they want to be in when they see blitz heavy looks. Uh, Hurts this year, top five in EPA per dropback. But if you filter for plays on just which quarterbacks are blitzed, he's 17th. About average. The best way to, to 
make this Eagles passing attack simplified, more easy to handle, is to blitz it. Blitz it very heavily. The Eagles' answer will be, A.J. Brown's going to dominate you in man coverage. Devontae Smith's going to dominate you in man coverage. And looking at, you know, the Giants' cornerback situation across the course of the year, let alone since Adore Jackson went down, you feel good about that matchup. It's just, it, it gives Martindale the opportunity to simplify. Instead, instead of saying we have to deal with this many things, the Eagles to do this in the running game, the quarterback running game, the RPO game. If you give blitz heavy looks, Hurts going to get rid of the ball quickly. He's going to throw it behind or at the line of scrimmage. And now it becomes a tackling game. Now it becomes a, can you beat the blocks game? Can you anticipate the screen game? Can you get them into third and long and force them to throw beyond the sixth game? There's a way that Martindale's presence, his, his reputation, really simplifies this game and just makes it, can we get the tackles? Can we get the stops? And that's how an underdog beats a leading team like the Eagles, is you simplify and you bring it down to a couple different matchups. Okay. I, but I think that kind of oversimplifies things. Because what is a blitz? Uh, what, what definition you're using is five five rushers. plus rushers. That is not the definition that Wink Martindale uses as a blitz. And over the past couple of weeks, because of these injuries, they have stopped blitzing. They have been sending pressure. They have been sending five man pressures at, with zone coverage behind it. But they are not c- calling cover zero at the same rate they have. But what do you what do you mean? How would how would Wink Martindale define a blitz if it's not five? A blitz is like six six be- cover zero six people blitzing. Like NFL coaches do not define a blitz the same way that we define blitzes. Yeah. They do not NFL, consider yeah. five-man pressures blitzes. They define those as pressures. And I don't, I don't think the, that Wink Martindale is calling as many blitzes, which are the ones that are really hard to deal with. If the Giants are in a four-defensive lineman front and they send a cornerback on a blitz plus those four linemen, you don't think that's a blitz? No, I'm not saying – I'm saying that we, like for the sake of simplicity, refer okay. to anything that is five-man plus as a blitz. But that's okay. not – Nest, like and then we bucket everything like we bucket cover zero fire zone uh cover one where you where you blitz five all of that into blitzes which that's not what they are that's not how wink martindale calls plays he's not like i'm gonna call a blitz do i send five or six no like cover zero is his blitz and they're not doing it any like as much as they used to that's the cover my, zero you just mean no safety help everyone one-on-one no safety and- help one-on-one six guy or whoever like the it's going to be six. Maybe it's seven men blitzing if you keep a running back or a tight end in protection. It's, he's not sending the all-out blitzes at the same rate as he was earlier in the season when they were a little healthier. Mm-hmm. So the aggressiveness they, of those pressures has been toned down recently when their quarterbacks uh, yeah, started getting it's, hurt. It's like the rate was like about 12% before the last couple of weeks, and now it's down to like 5 or 6%. And I think that's a huge difference. If they do send a lot of pressure, a lot of cover zero pressure, where you can like get a little bit more creative with the pre-snap presentation and the post-snap presentation, I think I agree with Solak. I think they'll be able to give this offense some problems. If they can't and they're calling plays like they have the last two weeks, like they called plays against Washington last week, and they're sending fire zones or they're, they're playing cover one with just five men rushing, that's what the Titans did last week, mainly to stop the running game. But that's what they did, and they got burnt. They got burnt for, what was it, 36 points? And I think the Titans' defense is better than the Giants' defense. I agree. I don't think the Titan like, I don't anticipate Martindale's going to look at the way Jalen Hurts has played and play them the way the Titans did. The Titans did a lot of like mush rush, right? Right. Yeah, Where you're yeah. just kind of, you, you, you have your, your down defensive lineman. They're going to rush the quarterback. Right. But instead of like giving their all to go get to the guy, they would kind of initiate contact with the offensive lineman and then sit and wait. And you saw the Colts do this against Jalen hurts. They, they teams like it when he leaves the pocket, when he leaves the pocket, he's a, he's a simple player, right? So we're going to say, right. all right, we're not really going to try to pressure you. We're not going to try to spend extra bodies. See if we can get a guy to tackle you in the pocket. Cause 
Jalen Hurts is going to break that tackle. He's going to escape that first pressure. And now we're playing yeah. 10 versus 11. So we're just going to put a little bit of heat on him. We're going to make him feel the tightness of that pocket. And then he's going to leave by himself because Hurts doesn't love to manage the pocket, right? He'd much rather just get out of it. So once he leaves, all right, our guys are ready. They're not tied up with offensive linemen. They're not getting held by the chest pads. They're not trying to get to a point where the quarterback isn't there anymore. They're all watching him, eyes on him. So instead of doing like a four-man rush with a quarterback spy, teams against the Eagles, and Titans specifically, will just kind of only send four and then see if he leaves the pocket. Martindale's not going to live that way. Like, I understand what you're saying in terms of him toning the aggressiveness down. But to me, the the the, the Titans are very much so like a, we're going to try to play on your tendencies sort of a defense. We're right, going to try yeah. to you know get you into the spots where you think you have an advantage and then you don't. And we're going to try to you know pick on pick on your, your most common hits. Martindale is more of a dictate off a defensive coordinator. I'm going to play you this sure. way. And, and Hertz is going to get outside the pocket sometimes and burn him, right? Like Hurt, this will be another game where Hertz has like some some 15 plus yard scrambles, right? Like we saw against the, the Packers two weeks ago. But I, I do think they're going to send objectively more bodies in pressure and more pressures frequently. The Titans really didn't start sending an extra body until later in the game. Early on, they were just yeah. four man and, rushes the whole time. And what they were doing was they were blitzing the run. They weren't blitzing yeah. For them as a passing yeah. team. And that's that's the other half of this game is, okay, we're talking a lot about what it's going to look like on passing downs, what Martindale is and isn't as a blitzer. None of this will matter if you can't get the Eagles into a clear passing down, right? You, you have to be able to get them into, into a passing stop. The Giants' uh, run defense is predicated on the idea of number 97 in the middle. Dexter Lawrence is such a good, stinking player on the interior. And Lawrence is a player that has typically, over the course of his career, given Eagles center Jason Kelsey problems. Because Lawrence is very, very big. Plays right over the center this season, right? He's playing head up over the nose. And Jason Kelsey's not the biggest center. The Eagles' running game is at its most dangerous when Kelsey has free access to the second level. Teams like the teams like Packers played him like this. Uh, who else played him like this? The Texans played him like this, where they don't have a body right over Kelsey. And so you can just like get double teams, get combos, and get Kelsey over to the, a second level. Good night. I mean, the Eagles screen game, plus the, their movement running game, and how often they like, you know, uh, leave an extra body and use Jalen Hurts. Like, if you get Kelsey tagging a linebacker, go home. Sayonara. The, the Giants will not allow that because they're going to play Lawrence head up over Kelsey. And more often than not, they're going to win that matchup. Lawrence having a dominant game in the trenches puts the Eagles in third and long situations. Then Martindale says it's chaos time. Whoa, 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 sometimes wait, wait, he's going to lose, and sometimes he's going to win. I agree with everything you just said, but how did you get from, well, the Giants, again, everything I agree, Dexter Lawrence has been incredible for the Giants, but just putting a nose tackle on Kelsey means that Eagles won't be able to run on the Giants because the Giants have been kind of like been able to, they've been a run on. It, do, it doesn't mean the Eagles won't be able to run on the Giants, no. But it is to say that when the Eagles running game is at its most effective, when it's at its most dangerous, when like they're having games like that against the Packers where they just run the ball into oblivion, the Texans where they just run the ball constantly, it's because Kelsey is a legitimate weapon. The Eagles don't have a fullback. They don't, like since Dallas Goddard got injured, they don't have like, you know, an elite blocking tight end who like does this and that for them. They have movement players. When they can get Kelsey, Lane, uh, right tackle Lane Johnson and Jordan Mylotta left tackle on the move. They will that that that's that's the mo for them. When you put Lawrence over Kelsey, you're forcing the Eagles to say, all right, if you want to use Kelsey as a weapon that he is, he's nobody better in the league at getting to the second level, tagging a linebacker, creating space. You're gonna have to pull him. You're gonna have to run outside the tackles. You're gonna have yes. to make a penetration game. Which yeah, it, again, that's what they're going to do though, because the Giants play the like. This is the difference between the Giants and the Titans, who I thought did a pretty good job against the Eagles' run game. The Giants present their bare fronts. They're three. They're clogging up the middles before the snap. The reason why the Titans 
were able to at least contain the run was because they blitzed into that look. Mm-hmm. They and that's why they started blitzing from the corner. They weren't blitzing like the nickel to get outside pressure. They were blitzing the nickel so they could slant the DN inside to clog up the middle against the zone run game. The Eagles started anticipating that and started calling pulling runs outside of the the tackles. I think they don't they won't have to guess when to do that against the Giants. They'll know when to do it cuz the Giants are going to line up in it pre-snap. I think it's going to make that makes it very easy to avoid Dexter Lawrence. Right. I I I very much agree. I'm just saying that's where the Eagles running game when it has to become that isn't as good as it typically is. Right? When the Eagles have to face blitz, their pass game isn't as good as it typically is. The Giants are as a defense have the things in terms of like the 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 strong interior and the blitz packages that make the Eagles offense fit in the boxes that they don't like as much. The Eagles are very versatile on offense. The, the, the fact that they can get away from Dexter Lawrence, very much to their benefit, right? Like the Titans, like when they when the Titans face teams that are good in the interior against the run, the Titans have no answer. I mean, they don't really have a way to like get outside the, the box, right? They don't have that versatility of their offense. So some teams are, like we talked about the Bengals a lot this season being siloed. Some teams are, if you could take this away, they have no response. The Eagles are not that. They'll have responses. But the Giants have some of the tools to make the Eagles play a little bit of a, a, a round square peg into a round hole game. Eagles are way more talented, but the, the Giants have their thumb on the pressure points of what has given this Eagles offense troubles over the course of the year. The flip side of the ball, though, I'm a little concerned that the Giants aren't even going to be able to score in a way that even keeps up with the Eagles offense. This I agree way, with. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of don't really see a path where. Again, the Giants are starting Isaiah Hodgins at wide receiver. Isaiah Hodgins was like a practice squad player. Oregon for... State, great. Go <laughs> he, was literally, he was literally on like the Bills practice squad a month ago. He's starting. He's not even rotating in. Richie James is supposed to be like our special teams player. He's also starting yeah. receiver. At what point does this just kind of not matter for the Giants? They called it an isolation red zone shot to Isaiah Hodgins on which he scored <laughs> against Washington. And I just remember watching that play and, being, and I was trying to think of a way to tweet about it and i was like there's just no way to encapsulate 280 characters the dire straits in which you need to be not just to be playing isaiah hodgins for a significant number of snaps but to be like all right we're in the low red zone time for the isaiah hodgins play here we go baby isolation one-on-one uh the uh though that like the wide receiver situation being where it is is, is one thing the offensive line situation too with the injuries they've accru- accrued there like the eagles deep pass rush has been getting better and better week in and week out they're deep now, right? Jordan Davis coming back. You can use Dominican Sue as a rotation player. Like they're the Eagles put their second defensive line on the field. And that second defensive line is like Brandon Graham, Dominican Sue, Linval Joseph, and then like Milton Williams, whatever. That and like that going up even against this Giants front is something else. Like it, it, Thomas's ability to kind of erase a rusher has been something that, that's really cool to see this year. But the Eagles have such a deep stable. They have so many guys who can win that it's not really like a, oh, Andrew Thomas takes away Josh Sweat. We're fine situation like there's they can come at you from so many different ways. This is going to be a huge game for Daniel Jones mobility, right? Because Jones is a big physical loping runners, big guy. The Eagles secondary is a little bit small. So like this is going to be one of those days where like Jones has to like break some tackles at the second level, which is not like where you love to be as an offense. But that's the only real way that I think you get explosives out of the Giants offense. You have to get your Darius Slayton prayer balls and then you have to get your Daniel Jones stiff arms in the second level, which is just dire straits. All right. Well, that sounds really encouraging. Okay. So Solak uh, sounds like he thinks the Eagles will win by 30. He's pretending that he thinks the Giants could cover, but okay, sure. I picked the Giants to cover on the Philly special. Okay. Before sure. this show. So sure. Steven, pick, uh, obviously you're saying the Eagles going to win by more than a touchdown here. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think so too. 27 to 13. 
I, yeah, I actually think that's really accurate. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's get to Monday morning headlines and or memes, but first... This episode of the Ringer NFL show is brought to you by State Farm. All right, football fans, the good neighbors over at State Farm wanted us to let you know that you really don't have to get that personal to get the personal price plan. Seriously, there's no need to tell anyone that you still sleep in an old school pair of your team's pajamas or that you have a breakfast ritual on game days that you insist results in a win. Steven, you had an admission the other day that was way too personal. Yeah, this is this is uh, pretty embarrassing that I, I didn't mean to put it on the air. But yeah, I, I this stuff just I still watch Panthers games. Keep pounding every Sunday. Keep pounding, and I and I root for them to win. And I I wake up thinking they have a chance to win. It's pretty embarrassing. I'm, it's it's just too sorry. personal. Don't don't share that. Like we're coworkers. It's just that's just keep that to yourself. That's right. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm Personal Price Plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Frank it up. <laughs> All right, Monday morning headlines and or memes. Steven, this is like your personal Super Bowl. Miami Dolphins are playing at the Los Angeles Chargers. <laughs> I feel like Justin Herbert is your favorite quarterback player, person, maybe in the entire world. And you've kind of had a vendetta against Tua the entire season. Uh this is also just like a massive game for the Chargers because the Chargers, if they make the playoffs, it's basically like 50-50 coin flip to make the playoffs. And if they win, if they lose this game, it's like a one out of six dice roll. So it's a big game. With all that said, who do you think wins Dolphins-Chargers? What is your headline and or meme for Monday morning? I think the Dolphins win, and I think the headline, it's an awful announcing headline. It's the ringer fires NFL writer for unhinged tweets on Sunday night. <laughs> because this game is not going to go well for me. I'm telling you right now. I, I do think there's a chance that Justin Herbert keeps it close because I don't trust the Dolphins secondary. And I think this is a defense that likes to blitz a lot. 
And I, I think Justin Herbert, like as bad as the Chargers are, I think if you blitz them, you give them a better chance of succeeding in throwing deep. So I think the game, like I think the Chargers scored 20. I just don't see any way they, they hold them to less than 30 points, the Dolphins. And the two is going to go off. Tyreek's going to go off. Jalen Waddle's going to go off. It's, it's going to be a good game for Tua Non. I really think that. I think Justin I, Herbert will hold his own and, and make me proud. But it's, gonna be, it's not going to be pretty. Dolphins win. There has never been more of a game in which to delete the Twitter app than this <laughs> primetime game on Sunday night. Just because... I'm going to download it a second time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to download it even harder. The, this, is, this is where, like, you know, there's a existing indie, you know, belief, grassroots, uh, you know, support for QB wins still being a thing that matters, which is 2022. And, like, we can't be doing this. But for the people who just have like decided that Tua is good no matter what, Tua beating Justin Herbert, independent of the context, is just a huge victorious moment. That, despite the fact that like Steven, who's the biggest Justin Herbert fan in the world, me, who's like Justin Herbert's very clearly better than Tua, are gonna sit here and tell you on Friday they're gonna beat the Chargers by a lot. Like it the 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 matchups quarterback included but also outside of the quarterback are just not withstandable for the chargers on either side of the ball like even if teron armstead doesn't play and you're like oh maybe the 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 khalil Mack can have a great game like there's not enough volume in the pass rush for the chargers relative to what the niners had to put the pressure on Tua to get Tua to break down the way that he did against san francisco if that happens it's a massive 180 from what two has been able to do this year right it, it's more like 2021 Tua, where like at the first wisp of pressure he starts to fall apart i just like there's there's no way you win with the pass rush the way the niners are able to there's no way you press the line of scrimmage with as much success as the niners did because jc jackson isn't healthy and like that's where jc's at his best is when he's playing press man and like he's not available for that so you can't put michael davis against tyreek like they just don't have they don't they don't have the linebacker play like drew tranquil is going to get abused in this game on the interior relative to what Fred Warner is able to do in middle linebacker for the Niners. The, the, everything that made the Niners capable of taking away the Dolphins game, the Chargers have the opposite of it. And while I trust Brandon Staley to come up with like some creative solutions, because he tends to do that week over week, even as their defense has been bad, he's like trying good stuff. They just don't have the horses. They simply do not have the horses to handle this offense. It's going to be a bloodbath. <laughs> I, Rich Rebar at Sharp Football had this, uh, this stats and it leapt out at me that the Chargers basically are like by far the worst defense on first down by like an incredible amount that the Chargers are actually allowing the most rushing yards per play on first down of any team in the league. But they're also allowing the most passing yards per play on first down. Like they're literally the worst rushing and passing defense on first down. That kind of blew my mind. Like if just all the runs on first down were a running back, they would be like fourth were a player. They'd be like fourth in yards per carry. And if all the passes on first down against the Chargers were a quarterback, you'd be like second in yards per attempt. And the only person who's better is Tua. Tua is the best quarterback passing the ball on first down. Just seems like a, it, it does seem like kind of a disaster in waiting. Yeah, I feel like early downs is where you see the talent show up the most on defense. And then third down, that's when coaches can get more creative and do stuff that like you can't, you can only do so much creatively on first down because of the, the nature of play calling and what guys do and like the options you have on third down is where you see the creativity from, from defensive coordinators. So like even a coach like Staley, who I do think is a very creative game planner, this is a game where I don't even think that's going to matter because the dolphins are never going to be in third and long. They're going to, they're going to do whatever they want on first and second down. Are you still, so when the, if the dolphins win this game by 30 points, uh, what are you going to be saying on Monday about how you still have Herbert over to 
in all seriousness. Just watch the game. I mean, I, I, I fully expect the Dolphins to win by 20 points, but it will be clear who the better quarterback is, even still. Like, this, here's my thing. Like Everyone was saying, oh, yeah, bad, every quarterback has bad games. Tua has bad games. No good quarterback has bad games that looks like that. Right. This is, this is qualitative. They do not look like that. It's, look it's, at it's, Patrick Mahomes' bad games. Oh, yeah, when he was in the Super Bowl and getting rushed, he was still throwing dimes from like his knees against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's not what good quarterbacks' bad games look like. Like Even Justin Herbert's worst games look nothing like that this year. That's the difference between a good quarterback and an average quarterback. You know that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean when Jack Sparrow rolls into the, the port with his ship and it's like sinking and he just is like getting off. The, I feel like that's going to be Steven getting off like the, the Chargers hey, boat. Just got going down. I've been here before. I've been here before, buddy. I was telling everyone Baker Mayfield sucks during the 2020 season. He was winning playoff games. You don't think that you don't think I felt like I was on an island then? I stood re- resolute and look, he's on. No, I agree. With you. I think that the reality months. is you just kind of can't convince me that if Justin Herbert was literally on this charger, the Dolphins team, it wouldn't be just as good. like it, I don't know. See how it would be tangibly any worse. It seems impossible. Not way better. Right. Yeah. You're saying if Herbert were a Dolphin, the offense would be the same. Literally, like, what is for- one throw? In all seriousness, what is one like? Are, are there five plays to his made this season that Herbert could have made? We Dolphins fans must hate us so much, but it's true. Right. I, I, you, there's a like an entirely, totally legitimate argument that that Herbert couldn't play into his exact shoes because Herbert, just as a larger, longer man, has a larger, longer release than Tua does, and the quick release for Tua is integral to hitting some of these concepts, like the Jalen Waddle catch against the Lions with Malcolm Rodriguez draped over him, like in a low red zone, like Tua's ability to get rid of that ball in 0.15 seconds is the only reason that play works. The important thing is is to understand like the alternative. If if Herbert were in the offense, they wouldn't run plays like that. They'd run them a little bit differently and they'd have the same efficacy. Arguably, they'd have greater efficacy, like passing the football down the field and stuff like that. Relative to, if you put Tua in this Chargers offense, good night. He can't. Like the, the amount of, throws that Herbert makes while his body's being hit and he has the size and the strength to endure and still deliver an accurate ball a player of two of size like Russell Wilson Kyler Murray any of those guys but a player of the size like just couldn't they, they couldn't run three-step drop back quick game two is not tall enough like the way the Chargers run it the two couldn't work in it so that's why like, play style makes fights you know what I'm saying like the the put this guy into this shoes comparison always like the offense would necessarily change just because of the style of the quarterback taking the ball from under center that's not even a slight towards Tua. You put most quarterbacks in this offense in good night. Yeah. It's an unviable offense. Well, unlike good night, I think Steven's going to have a bad night on Sunday night. Uh, next game here. Jets are playing at the Bills. Jets are 7-5. Bills are 9-3. This game is the Ringer NFL Twitter game of the week, so you can go to the Ringer NFL Twitter account. You can follow that. They'll be live tweeting it, so check that out there. The Bills are giving the Jets almost 10 points. The Jets are... 10-point underdogs. The Jets beat the Bills not that long ago with Zach Wilson instead of Mike White. Steven, is that like, like, should Jets fans be pissed or do you think that this is totally fair? It's, it's, it's a little striking to have a team that won a month ago with a, that's since made a quarterback upgrade just be a 10-point underdog. Uh, should they be upset? Sure. But there won't I, be an I, upset. I, like, I'm, no, like, I don't think this is an egregious line. I think it's kind of interesting that it is bigger than the the Giants Eagles line, but I mean I think there's been a lot of Bills panic over the last month that isn't warranted. I think they're fine. I like the Von Miller injury hurts. I think it's an injury they can overcome, and I think it's one 
I still think it's one that lowers their ceiling dramatically, especially in the playoffs, but not in matchups like this. I think the Von Miller injury is going to hurt them when they play Kansas City or, or Cincinnati in the playoffs. Yeah. But for, for these types of games, you can coach around that. And I think they won't have a problem coaching around Von Miller's absence for this week because they've been, they've been working without him the past couple weeks. I, I think this is a good test for Josh Allen, though, because his elbow, I don't know if it's still affecting him, but it, was, it seemed like it was clear that his elbow was affecting him on the short stuff because he was missing a lot of throws. I feel like we've seen fewer of those in the last couple weeks, but the Jets are a team that's going to force you to make those throws and force you to beat them like that. He wasn't able to do it with, uh, the first week he had this elbow injury. So I think this is a good test to see where Josh Allen is and how effective that elbow really is. I wanted to ask you guys about just kind of Stefan Diggs in this game, too, because last week, obviously, you know, the Jets play the Vikings. And I saw this thing from Nate Tice, where basically I think the only play where Sauce Gardner wasn't aligned to one side of the field, they move Justin Jefferson, like he moves over and Justin Jefferson goes to the other side of the field. And Justin Jefferson, like, catches a touchdown to put the Vikings ahead. And I was wondering, like, if Sauce Gardner is always on one side of the field, like, can't, isn't it very easy for the Bills to just not put Diggs on Sauce Gardner? Like, wh- why wouldn't they have Sauce just shadow digs? So the Robert Sala defense coming from the Niners, coming back from the the Seattle tree right back when he was with with Pete Carroll, cover three and quarters, right? So what we're going to do is is we're going to be able to play single high zone, right? Where we're going to have one deep safety, and then the second safety will step down, and he'll be an underneath zone defender. Or we'll play quarters. We're going to be able to play two deep zone. And instead of having one safety rotate to the center field, and one safety step down, they're both just going to drop back and they're going to be responsible for about a quarter of the field. It, in order to kind of hide what you're, in order to, to hide what you're doing zone wise, right? It's nice to have everything look the same pre-snap. So number one, you're going to kind of play one safety to one side, one safety to the other side. You're going to play one corner over here, one corner over there. Richard Sherman, right? Like you remember the whole Sherman discourse back when the, the Legion of Boom was incredible. And anybody who wanted to be a detractor of Richard Sherman said, well, he doesn't travel. Right. And it's OK. Well, it's a function of the of a, of a zone defense. If you're going to major in zone, this is the way you want to play it. There started to be issues with that approach and teams started to be able to avoid Sherman, especially as the second corner for Seattle became kind of a worse and worse player, more and more attackable to the point where guys who were cast off from this defensive approach started finding ways to, OK, let's play more man. OK, let's play more corner on the opposite side, so on and so forth. Now you kind of have a pendulum swinging back the other way where the Jets are like, no, we just line up and play. And we play extremely fast. We play extremely sound. We're able to press you the line of scrimmage. We play cover three and so on and so forth. So there's the it's it's a pendulum nature to it. Absolutely. The the Bills have the ability if they want to, to get digs. So it's that he's never aligned opposite Sauce Gardner. At the same time, the Jets now know what side of the field Stefan Diggs has gone every single snap. He's always going to be on the, the offense's left, right? Okay, well. We can shade coverage that way. We can push three receivers to that side or push, push extra defenders to that side, right? Like it's, yeah, they can have him avoid sauce, but still he's getting covered by DJ Reed and Michael Carter the second, two pretty good cover corners. And secondly, you're still kind of dictating what the Bills can and can't do. Like you're still at the point where like, all right, they're just going to avoid sauce the whole game. We now know where Diggs is. If we know where Diggs is, we probably know where Gabe Davis is. We now have a lot of information pre-snap about where your receivers are. So there's like, you know, the 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 cost benefit to being able to just like hide a receiver from a corner has got more layers to it than just like, oh, well, if Diggs isn't on sauce all game, then Diggs will beat every corner he faces. Not that easy. Yeah, and they're, they're playing zone, so you're not always getting that matchup. Even if like Diggs lines up across from Sauce Gardner, that doesn't guarantee that he's going to end up covering him. So 
I don't know if like the juice is worth the squeeze of putting him to the opposite side of sauce card. And now you're letting the defense dictate the terms of your offense. And now you're doing something you don't like to do. So that's a win for the jets. If, if they end up doing that. So do you think, so you think the bills run away for this and it's really just more of a litmus test for Josh Allen entering the playoffs and like, can he get right? Cause really a lot of these bills losses where they've played poorly is really Josh Allen was playing fine. And then had like a few really mental lapse turnovers that kind of swung these games. No, I I don't think it's just that. I think it is a good test for this Bills front because the the Jets did run on this team last last time they played them. So I think it's a good litmus test in that regard. Also, honestly, I think the rest of the season and the whole regular season so far has been like tracking the Bills progress and the ebbs and flows and how they have evolved on both sides of the ball. So like I'm not concerned by any Bills results from here until the playoffs. Okay. See, that's interesting because I feel the opposite way. I feel like last year we saw the Bills come out the gate really hot and then start to have some some stumbles and start to have some some face plants and some odd games in the middle to the end of the season. Uh, defense is starting to catch up at the time what Brian Dable was doing, but they started to realize like all right, like the Bills can't run out of anything. So we we they, you know they start to really mid max when they play the Bills. It's just like we take away the pass, we take away the intermediates no matter what, and we kind of make you right, again yeah. square peg into a round hole. Well, the Bills were out the gate. Six and one this year, right? Dominant performances, multi-score wins, right? They were controlling games. And then lost to these Jets, lost to the Vikings in overtime. Again, the game they should have won. Uh, beat Cleveland by one score. Beat the Lions by one score. And then they had their, their most recent win against the Patriots, which they take the Patriots very seriously. They beat them by two scores. It was a dominant game, and the Patriots were horrible offensively. But the Bills now for two consecutive seasons, in my opinion, have come out a lot hotter than they finished. And I'm starting to worry that teams catch up to what Bills want to do offensively and especially like throw a Josh Allen injury in there. I don't know. Like I, the Bills are still one of the best teams. I don't know if they're like a week in, week out dominate team when we start to get to these cold months the way that we like expect teams like the Chiefs to be under Patrick Mahomes. So I'm always interested to see how the Bills do in these late season games against really good opponents. They get the Jets this week and they get Miami next week. They get the Bengals in a month. Like there's some there's some gut check tests for what Buffalo looks like later in the season. Yeah, my my only thing with that is like this has been a bad year for them health wise, and like this evolution that they've kind of been on throughout the season has kind of been forced, and it changes every week based on who's available. So that's like the one reason why I'm not too concerned about this uneven stretch that they they've been on. Like they still have a lot of talent, they still have a very good coaching staff. Once they f- they're going to figure something out that works, and they have another month to figure it out, and we already. S- Last week, I don't know if that's going to be a sign of things to come or an aberration, but I feel like last week was a positive step forward. And the fact that they were winning those games while they were figuring things out, I think is a very good sign. Well, speaking of winning things while figuring things out, um, the 49ers are playing the Buccaneers this week. Uh, (laughs) The 49ers won. Jimmy Grapple got what? Broke his foot on the first drive and Brock Purdy stepped in and they won that game. The Buccaneers had... It felt like it was going to be a few steps removed from like Tom Brady should retire midseason based on the way that Monday Night Football was going. And then some it was like 17 to three with like three and a half minutes left. And then just 16 to three critics, 16, right, 16 to three would have been a different game. Exactly. Yeah. You black back in and then suddenly Tom Brady is a winning touchdown. So either way, both these teams are like in a very precarious division lead. And, uh, you know, somehow I, they could win their divisions. It's kind of wild to think about. But anyway, so like, who do you think wins Niners Bucks? What's the headline and or meme on Monday morning? I think the Niners win. I think the Niners win because I think the Buccaneers score zero to two points 
against the San Francisco defense, somewhere in that range. If a team can score only one point in the NFL, if it were mathematically achievable, it would be achieved by the Buccaneers offense against this 49ers defense. With that said, if the Niners beat the Bucs, it doesn't matter if it's because of the defense. The headline will be about Brock Purdy. I will not make a penis joke at this time, despite the fact that that's all we're getting out of San Francisco. Just Kyle Shanahan immediately after the game. He's got some balls out there. We just got like a ton of just like all of his his Brock Purdy masculinity references. Very odd situation in San Francisco. They're, they're gassing up uh, uh, Brock I Purdy. I actually had no idea what you were talking about. And now I just... Really? And it's everywhere. I mean, now I just feel you like just, I have you, to say it. You saw what? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, this is a, this is a report. Yeah, I'm just gonna say it. Uh, I think I think I've so he's being called there. Big Cock Brock. This is his yeah. nickname on the team. Yes. Yeah, uh, George All Kittle. Right. He's got some cojones to him. Debo Samuel. Oh, he's definitely he definitely has balls. And then the best the best example Debo gives an example because he definitely has some balls. Uh, it takes nuts to call a timeout without Kyle calling it. It takes a lot of stones to need some extra time. What are, What are they <laughs> saying about Jimmy G? By the way. <laughs> Interesting, right? Well, how, let's read into this it's, now. It's kind of like the absence of praise sometimes, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Has anyone ever had a better nickname come up so quickly from going from Mr. Irrelevant to like Big Cock Brock in like 24 hours? That's like one of the best nickname turnarounds of all time. I agree it's a good turnaround. I'm not sure it's a great nickname. It's better than Mr. Mm. Irrelevant. Yeah. I just, the last time we were doing a big blank name it was Nick Foles in the 2017 Eagles Super Bowl run. So the Niners are winning the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy will sign a four-year, $72 million contract with some team, and then we'll just vanish into infamy if he's to it's follow be the, the Panthers. arc set. Yeah. Well, I appreciate Panthers, you not sure. saying it, but it's going to be the Panthers. <laughs> it's going to be, it's gonna be the, the, Jags, other, but the, Jags the other 1995 Panthers. expansion team. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, so I have Purdy good as my headline because it's got to be and because I didn't feel like making a yeah, penis right. joke at this time. Uh, but pretty good. Even but if, if you again, did like, hypothetically, what would it have been? No, no, no. My mom <laughs> listens to this by that's not happening. Uh, the the Niners offense good enough at handling backup quarterbacks at finding ways to produce that. I think that they're going to be able to keep this ship afloat and at least get to the playoffs, at least handle the division. There's been a lot of discourse about, OK, well, Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard's numbers weren't actually that good when Jimmy wasn't available. But, oh, that's kind of because. George Kittle was hurt and Debo Samuel was hurt. But if you look at the Jimmy plays in which there's no Debo Samuel and there's no George Kittle, then actually Jimmy was still better in those contexts. There's a lot like uh, uh, we're like getting down the layers of the onion here with Kyle Shanahan and backup quarterbacks. The simple reality, like the 101 level, is that this offense is really good at plugging and chugging in a new quarterback because they ask their quarterback to execute simple things. And critically, this era of the offense will be even better than previous areas of the offense of plugging and chugging in a new quarterback because of the number of playmakers they have. Like, we're not even in the George Kittle, Debo Samuel area. Like, again, I have said it, like, I feel like 12 times. Brandon Ayuk is so, so, so good this year. Christian McCaffrey is now in the Niners. The amount of matchup players this team has is unparalleled. Trent nobody, Williams. No, right. Nobody in the league has, a, has more guys that can get a bucket, win a rep in a critical moment than the Niners on offense. It is, it, it is not, like, not the Chiefs, not the Dolphins. Like, the Dolphins have, like, Tyreek and Waddle. They have the biggest, like, top tier but overall the Niners matchup problems are such a big deal where if Brock Purdy's just able to point and shoot then they're going to be okay they're going to be all right so pretty good Niners beat the Bucks, and really it's all D'Amico Ryans because all things come back in D'Amico Ryans 
Heifetz was having a hard time with me during that segment because I kept saying plug and chug and point and shoot for Brock Purdy. Yes, I can't. I can't. Heifetz was going through it. Keep saying plug and chug. The whole time I was thinking of a penis based headline and I failed. (laughs) It's not easy. Pretty much the only one you got to go for is the Brock rhyme. It's just big Brock plugging and chugging. That's all. What newspaper publishes that headline? Pound the Brock. Oh my God. Pound the Brock. Pound the Brock. Oh, my God. Anyway, all right. Let's move on before I get fired. All right, next one. Vikings are at the Lions this week. Uh, Just when we thought that maybe the Vikings aren't frauds anymore, uh, the Lions are favored in this game over the Minnesota Vikings. The 10 and 2 Vikings are underdogs to the 5 and 7 Detroit Lions. The only comparable game I can really find from the last 10 years is last year the Cardinals were at five more wins than the Seahawks. And... We're underdogs to see. I can't really find another similar example from like the last decade. So I, I think this is wild. And that was with a backup quarterback, right? Yeah. Uh, Sam Hoffman is a wonderful father. Uh, Bet Spurts of 444 football. Since 1999, there have been four instances after week 12 of a 10 plus win team being underdogs against a team with five or fewer wins. All four have come in week 17, two of which have been when the starting quarterback on the 10 plus win team was rested. So we don't see this a lot. It's just, it's pretty weird. Vikings fans can make a lot of money this weekend. I was going to say, this is like, confident. Yeah. Put your money where your mouth is like the market. Anyway. So I'm on that with that context. Solak, who do you think wins Vikings lions? What's the headline and or meme Monday morning? So I'm meme this time because it's just too easy. Uh, Jared Goff photo, Kirk cousins photo. Pam Halpert, it's the same picture <laughs> because we're back. Uh, uh, four weeks ago, not even four weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was Jimmy. Seven weeks ago, it was Tua. Last season, it was Kirk. Quarterbacks in this offense, and and all this offense is a generalization. We'll talk about this offense in a second. Quarterbacks in offenses run by this coaching tree have these these stretches of high quality production and they have these great looking numbers by the common metrics that we use as catch-all metrics to generally describe the efficacy of offenses and thereby quarterback play jared goff is currently enjoying that jared goff in games uh he plays this season with a monroe st brown available uh averaging 0.20 epa per pass in games in which st brown has played 25 plus snaps that would rank tied for second with the bills this season in overall epa per play so when goff has had his receivers healthy namely amon ross st brown this has been one of the best offenses by EPA per play. Stop me if you've heard this before, just with Kirk Cousins as the guy. Like, oh, Kirk is fourth in EPA per play. Ryan Tannehill 20, in 2019, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo, 2017. Oh, like the top four in EPA per play. And it's Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football. Man, I mean, we, we keep going back to these discourses. We keep going back. All right, well, the EPA per play is great. And so like the, the quants, right? The nerds who like uh, observe football and, and, and try to parse football through. Yeah, the, the, the nerds, what they are like. I got love for these people. Like, they're nice people. We talk to them. They help me out. Like the metrics are useful to me doing my job. Like the nerds parse football through what they see through the data. And and they always have one of these quarterbacks that they're going out for. And then the same thing is true for like, uh, you know, analysts who kind of are like really into the, you know, just general production, like quarterback wins, like, oh, you know, Jared Goff's the future. Like, especially with Goff having just been traded from Matthew Stafford, there's so much of a desire with the Rams being as bad as they are, with Stafford being hurt to like relitigate and retcon the Goff Stafford trade. We know what golf is. Is this like some widespread belief the Rams screwed up winning the Super Bowl? No, the, but people like yeah. jumped on the wave yesterday. And we're like, yeah, he's right. The reality is this, because it's an important point, Danny. 
football media is big enough that somebody's saying something everywhere, right? Like if you're a yeah. Lions fan who wants to believe in Jared Goff, or if you're like a, a Rams fan who really loved Jared Goff, if you're a Cal fan who loved Jared Goff, you can find you a blue check. Certainly nowadays, we're we buying these things. You can find you a blue check. You can find you an article. It's got club, clips and it's got film and it's got numbers and it looks good. And it's like, yeah, Jared Goff is the best that there is. Like we had D- Danny Kelly on this feed for the island doing the Lions should build around Jared Goff. And there's legitimate earnest points there, go, right? right? Like, Call him out. Call out Danny Kelly. Tell me why he's wrong. The, the thing it. is that we, it's not about like the analysis on Jared Goff is wrong. It's about where the bar is placed is incorrect. You can get a good functional offense out of Jared Goff. You can get it out of Goff for quite some time against a variety of defenses, against even some good defenses. Once you get to the playoffs and you run into a defense with teeth, you run into a defense with sons of guns at all three levels, you run into a defensive coordinator that knows what he's doing, push comes to shove, and you can't get beyond that. As Stephen put the clip out this week yes. of Mike Girardi. Ger- was it Mike Girardi? Yeah. Uh, doing a report from the, the the Rams Patriots Super Bowl where he was like very clear make this point clear from before the game yes before the game where he was like it was, it's one of the greatest hits of all time I love this this clip so much it's him just like in front of a stadium like there's a cars in the background and he's like Patriots the defensive players and coaching staff have been talking all week about how much they respect the Rams and they respect Jared Goff but behind closed doors. <laughs> Patriots players are saying, and then he starts like stumbling over his words. He's like, if we show him the reps that and like the look that he hasn't seen, he like, kind of doesn't know how he wants to get this idea across. And then eventually he just he just goes for it. He's like, I'm full sending it. He goes, Patriots players have said, you know, if we show this guy different looks, he's going to bleep in his pants. <laughs> he just straight said, he says, he says bleep in his pants on NFL Network like two days before the Super Bowl. But that's that's the reality is that the bar is not, can I get good e-paper play out of this quarterback? It's not. Like, it's it's helpful for us to describe, like, hey, like, Jalen Hurts not as good against the Blitz because the e-paper play is so much worse. Like, boom, it helps me do that in a very fast way. But the goal for a quarterback isn't, does he have good e-paper play? The goal for a quarterback is when I'm playing a late January, early February football game against the best defense in, in the league, does this guy dictate? Oh, hello. That was, that was a tough dictate right there. That was a wow. big squeak. Whoa. Does this Holy. guy dictate? Her cousins <laughs> arrived. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does he generate he just bleeped problems? in his pants right there? He just bleeped. In his <laughs> does he generate an issue? Does he put any sort of stress on you? Is he dangerous? Does he de- does he make the defense play a certain way? And with golf, he simply isn't. Goff I hear is you saying, in. but like it, I, it's January February football. It's December. Lions are favored in this game. So like, if it's that easy, why is he playing so right. well? And why don't other teams just show golf something he hasn't seen? He's an early down quarterback. Like that, what Girardi was getting, or the Patriots players were getting at is we're going to put him, we're going to give him looks that he's never seen before. You can only do that on third down. So if you're avoiding those downs in those situations, then he could be a productive quarterback. The thing is, it takes a tremendous amount of talent to stay in those situations where it's viable to still run the ball and call play action in the second half. One, you have to have a defense that's playing well, that keeps you in games. You have to have a really good offensive line that can produce a good running game. You have to have a good offensive coordinator who can take advantage of a good running game and design a good play action game. And then if that doesn't, if you don't have all that, then you can't call those plays. And then Jared Goff becomes the Jared Goff that got benched for John Wolford before the playoffs. Yeah. And got so that, traded away. Not only he got traded and along with a first round pick. Like they had to throw in a first round pick and take $20 million in dead money to get rid of him. He becomes yeah. that player. So the 
the, there is value to having a Jared Goff. There is value to having a, a Jimmy Garoppolo. There's value to having a uh, Ryan Tannehill. Quarterbacks who have enjoyed this offense, early down passing, play action rate, so on and so forth. You look at what Jimmy does for the Niners, he clearly makes the offense better. Goff for the Lions, good for the offense. Tannehill for the Titans, he was good for the offense. There's no doubt there is value added. It's just not enough to maximize a lesser roster or to put actual stress on defenses, which is where like push actually comes to shove. Now, this Vikings pass defense like 25th in DVOA or something. They're 29th against against uh, top receivers, right? Amon Ross St. Brown, healthy for this game. I mean, they've literally allowed the most passing yards in the NFL. Yeah. Lions are going to score a bunch of points. Lions have a very good chance to win this game. Defensively, I think this can get shootouty, and now we're like, who's executing in the fourth quarter and time management and so on and so forth. But Lions can score enough points to win this game. No doubt in my mind. It's just Goff is one guy. Cousins is another guy. We've seen the contracts they've been given. We've seen the way they've been treated. We know what they are against top defenses. That We're just on a carousel where it's just, it's just open up a door, pick a new guy in this offense, and try to make a case for him. There's always a case to be made, but when push comes to shove, it, it doesn't hold water. Also, last week, if Kirk plays like he played last week, I don't know if the Vikings win a playoff game. If he continues to play like that, that was one of the worst Kirk games the I've ever seen. Jets, Jets, Jets defense is tough, man. I like but that know. was just accuracy. Like he was just missing throws. Like I've never seen him miss before. Like his thing is like that was, I would say that was the game that people are saying to ahead. Like I really well, do think Kirk was just off. But replacing a quarterback is always about options. I, I kind of get the golf thing of like, you know, we'll see. I mean, obviously I have a good draft yeah, pick. It depends on have a top five pick. But the flip side, the Vikings, it's not, it doesn't look this way, but Kirk Cousins, would be entering a contract year next year, and you don't really ever want your quarterback to enter a contract. Would you guys extend Kirk Cousins? Well, Kirk's what? Again? 30... 35. What? Yeah. 2012. Yeah. No, he's like... He's yeah, 34. Like 34. 34. 35. Boy. <sighs> no. <laughs> yeah, no. No. Yeah. What? Well, I, no. I agree with you. You but, have to find a better option. It's just you also don't want to have be driven into middling purgatory where you're always picking at worst 16th. And then it's very hard to go get a quarterback, right? This was the Steelers issue, right? I have bad news about the Vikings, Ben. What's <laughs> they're that? in middling purgatory. I don't know right. if you've, you've paid attention to recent history, but that they're in there. That's the, the hard thing is like, I, I, okay, what's the alternative to Kirk? A, a lot of the available alternatives are going to be at best the same and likely worse, at least in the short term. The, old, the only way you get a pick good enough to go get a rookie quarterback is if you're worse at quarterback in the short term, which is just like a weird situation to navigate. I mean, I think you move on just because can you envision Kirk winning you a Super Bowl? And then what has to happen in order to get to that point? Like what margin of error do you have as a team builder at that point? And if I'm someone that wants to preserve my job, I want to have the biggest margin for error possible. Because like I, I understand like in the short term, keeping Kirk kind of helps your job security because you're you're gonna be a middling team at least. It's gonna be hard to fire you. But like once that wears off and like maybe Kirk leaves after two nine and eight years or whatever, it becomes very easy to move on from you. And it becomes hard to rebuild at that point. So if I'm a GM building this team and I look at Kirk on my I'm I'm starting over next year. I'm there's no way I'm running this back. I, I just <laughs> ten and two. Got to start over next year. The the Titans just fired their GM and they're about to win the third straight uh, division title. <laughs> Which I also don't think was the best idea. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Uh, should the Giants just trade Daniel Jones for Kirk Cousins? The offseason? Just flip him? Just a little swap? 
That's I don't know who that helps. Minnesota. No, it doesn't. I don't That's know if it helps anyone. Minnesota. Switch, switch it up. Oh my gosh! Enough with your Daniel Jones propaganda. Is that propaganda? I don't even know. Um, uh, while we're talking about quarterback market, real quick, uh, we have to break down the whole game. But the Steelers, Ravens are playing Lamar. Tyler Huntley's coming in for Lamar. I'm just talking about quarterback market. I don't think the Ravens going to let Lamar Jackson go, but I think that there's, you know, it, it kind of creates this question of like what this we're going about to see Lamar Jackson's value, right? And I'm kind of just curious. What obviously the Ravens are like technically in the lead for the division lead with the Bengals right now, but like obviously the Ravens are playing for like, you know, their division title hopes and they got to keep things alive because the Bengals are surging. The Ravens are struggling. I'm curious if you think it'll become obvious that the Ravens need Lamar over the next few weeks or basically do you think that Lamar's injury and an absence might actually damage his his standing in this contract negotiation? I don't see how it hurts. Yeah, I'd be I'd be. Like, I think the Ravens have a chance to beat the Steelers because I think the Ravens' defense has just been increasingly getting better week in, week out. I think they have the opportunity to kind of uh, put a lot of pressure on Kenny Pickett to, like, beat it with his arm and 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 not just kind of be, like, the one where he's scramble quarterback he's been. I think, like, they might win the game. And Huntley, like, you know, completed a lot of passes. That wasn't the prettiest <laughs> passing performance you've ever seen. A lot of underneath stuff. Uh, but, like, you know, like Huntley is certainly one of the better backups in the league and stylistically does enough similar things to Lamar. The offense doesn't have to change too much, which is really nice. With that said, like, I don't think the body of work with how good Lamar's been this season, been unbelievable as a player, uh, can really be infringed upon by, like, a win over the Steelers by Tyler Huntley. Especially because, like, you've seen Huntley win, win games before. I just think that's good team management by the, the the Ravens to have a good backup quarterback in place who has the same style as Lamar so they don't have to change the offense too much. Uh, the main thing for Lamar is come back when you're healthy. Don't come back at 80%, sustain a worse knee injury, and then be doing contract negotiations when like you're coming off like a torn ACL. And then that's where things get, I think, a little bit more dicey, which Lamar's always been so good at avoiding injury. It's one of the best things that he does is avoid hits and protect his body and so on and so forth. Even this, like it was like a sack from behind and it's a, it's a one to three week injury. Like just make sure when you come back, you're in a divisional race, you're tight, it's tough. But if you go to that week 18 game against the Bengals and you're only behind the Bengals by one game, that game is still for the division. Ravens as of right now have the tiebreaker. So just, you know, win your Steelers game, come back with good health, try to make sure you're still within the range of the Bengals. Don't rush things. Don't don't risk the bag too much. Yeah, I would say like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't know if an injury is the worst thing for Lamar. If he gets a little like Drew Brees action where Drew Brees left San Diego and went to New Orleans and got to a new environment that was more it was better for him because of the injury, because I, I'm at the point where I just want to see him leave. I don't want to see him on this team anymore. The franchise could say they believe in him all they want, but every single move that they've made since before drafting him suggests they don't believe in him. You drafted Hayden Hurst before him. You put him in this offense that is not built for a, a an NFL quarterback. You don't have faith in him as a passer if you put him in a Greg Roman offense. You don't sign wide receivers to support him. They do not treat him like other teams treat their franchise quarterback. If I was him, I would not play another game for this team. <laughs> I have not. I've. I haven't done my. Uh, my God. Lamar Jackson's gonna look good in midnight green bit in a while because Hertz has been so good. But man, would Lamar Jackson look good in midnight green? Mm. Uh, we're not giving so like that, uh, Stephen. No, is that like a bit? You believe that? Like I'm sorry, the Ravens. No, why? If, why? If he's like, healthy, bad. The Ravens go like two and two or something down the stretch, and then like they're playing the Bengals week eighteen. Winner wins the AFC North, and you're like Lamar should sit out. You don't really think that? No. Yeah, I do. I don't think he should play again. Really? I would healthy? never play another game for this franchise. I don't. I like. <laughs> I would never play another game for Lamar this franchise. What are they team. doing for him, though? 
<laughs> Lamar would have loved like any team he got drafted to. I, I, what has this team ever done for him? I think that, I think that if I maybe to follow pay him, right they, here, have, they have been reluctant to pay him when he's been clearly been a top five player for like what, three, four years now. And they have been reluctant to pay him. Well, I think that the reluctance stems from the, the, I think there's a guaranteed contract desire stemming from the Deshaun Watson stuff and that Deshaun Watson getting a, a guaranteed contract to say nothing of all like, you know, Lamar for more or less an upstanding they citizen. They could have is. extended him before Deshaun Watson signed his contract in Cleveland, well, but they didn't. I know what I'm saying is I think that Lamar's, I, I believe Lamar said wants like guaranteed money and that's been a big sticking point. However, I think big picture, what you're basically saying is, and the thing I've been wondering is why Lamar just isn't in a spread. Like like, like, like the yes. idea, I, I feel mm -hmm. like in five years, Lamar Jackson will be breaking every NFL record we'll have and we'll look back and be like, now that he's in this offense where they spread everything out and have four receivers on the field for every play, like almost like sometimes like Josh Allen looks like with the Bills. We're like, why did we do something where every Ravens play looks like a like a field goal formation to start with these? <laughs> why do we condense everything instead of spread everything out? Right. If that's his the most dangerous space player in the history of the league, we're going to put him in condensed space. Very good tactic. That, that offense is built for him. Well, there we go. Maybe he'll maybe he's listening to this and he'll just never come back. So there we go. All right. That's all we got. It's the Ringer NFL Preview Show. Thank you, Select. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Isaiah and Eduardo for production help. Thank you to everybody for listening. We'll see you next week.